Welcome to Three Circle Church and all of our campuses that are joining us right now. Uh, we just want to welcome you as well on this Father's Day weekend. I don't know if it's raining at all of our campuses, but it's raining at the one I'm standing at right now. And so we just want to tell you right now, if you remembered in this moment that oh, you left a window down on your car, we want to graciously allow you to just go ahead and, and go do what you got to do. But we will make fun of you as you walk out. All right. We just want to let you know that that's going to happen at all the campuses, too, if it happens to be raining there. Hey, want to welcome all you guys here today. Love Father's Day weekend. And we just honor all the dads, all the guardians, all the stepdads, all the granddads, all the people that step into that fathering role. We want to honor you this weekend. Your presence in the lives of the next generation is amazing. I had a great granddad, a great dad. I'm very blessed to have so many father figures throughout my life step into my life. I have three kids and I'm going to be honest with you. My kids bring me so much joy that I feel like on Father's Day, I should give each one of them a card and say, thank you for the joy you have brought me. They are treasures to me and I am a blessed man to be their dads. And so we celebrate you today, but we also want to point all of us, because if you're like me and you're a dad, you probably walk in this room and you, and you think of all the ways you could be a better dad, and you think of all the ways you've not been a good enough dad, and so you're not going to hear that from me today. What I want to do is point all of us to the Heavenly Father. You know, Jesus one day was talking to a crowd, and he told a little joke. Jesus could be funny, you know, and at his ancient way, he was talking to a crowd, and he talked to the dads. He said, how many of you dads out there, and there was a bunch of dads, he said, how many of you dads out there, if your kids asked you for bread or fish, would give him a snake? And that was a little joke, and everybody's like, <laughs> I'm sure some dad's like, I would, you know, that kind of thing. And Jesus says, of course you wouldn't. And then he says this, he says, and, and if you guys who were just earthly dads, were all just humans, imperfect dads, if you love your kids so much like that, how much more, do you remember Jesus saying that? How much more does your heavenly father love you? Man, I love that spot because he does two things. On one hand, he acknowledges that we, all of us dads, we're human and we don't get it right all the time. We're imperfect, yep. But he says, but you have a heavenly father who does get it right every time. And in, in one breath, Jesus honors fatherhood and also points us to the ultimate heavenly father because at the end of the day, our Heavenly Father loved us so much that he, imagine this, all you dads, all you, all you guardians in the room, imagine offering up your child for someone else. And that's what he did on the cross. And so if you've ever wondered if God loves you, you look at the cross. Because as Jesus was being nailed to that cross, he himself said, this is what real love looks like. So can we just honor our Heavenly Father today and worship him and praise him, the one who has done so much for us. Amen. So we're going to continue our walk through today. We're going to step back into our series. We're doing a summer series on the fruit of the Spirit, not to be confused with the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, all right, because the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And if you remember, we looked last week at the fact that the Apostle Paul gave us two things to look at. He, he Before he went to the fruit of the Spirit, he said there's this thing called the works, and it is plural, the works of the flesh, and he gave us a list. And he says, you can do that on your own. Like, we don't have to work at the works of the flesh. I've never had to work at being selfish. I am a pro, and you are too. Don't leave me hanging up here, all right? Oh, you are too. You're really good at it. You don't have to work at that. You didn't have to teach your kids to lie, did you? Didn't they just come out being pretty good at it, right? Like, where did that come from? Oh, it came from inside of them, and you got it in you too. And Paul called it the works of the flesh, plural, so you can pick and choose them, you can be good at one thing that's horrible and not so good at another thing that's horrible. That's how they work because we produce the works of the flesh. But what we're going to look at today is he says, 
but the fruit of the Spirit, singular, is this thing God is doing in you. So let's take a look at that place in Galatians. It says this, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit's different than the works of the flesh. Now remember, we looked in week one of the series to kick off our summer, we saw that Jesus introduced this concept to us with his disciples. He said to them, I want you to bear much fruit and you can't do it apart from me. You cannot produce the fruit apart from me. So each week we've decided as a teaching team that each week we're going to remind you don't run out of here today as we look at another component of the fruit of the Spirit thinking that you're going to go make that happen. You're not going to run out and become more loving, become more patient because you tried hard. You know what's going to happen? By Monday afternoon, you're going to fail. That's about how long you're going to last. Jesus said you can produce nothing apart from me. What did he say we had to do to produce fruit? He said you have to abide in me. So if you want the fruit to pop out on your tree, the fruit of the Spirit, so the world can see it and be drawn to Jesus, if you want that, then you've got to get close to Jesus. And if you run out of here and try to make it happen, you'll fail. But if you learn to walk with Jesus and get close to him, the result will be the fruit. So the fruit is not something you run out and try to produce. The fruit is something you look for as evidence that you're actually walking with Jesus. Does that make sense, church? And so we want to make that clear every single week. And as we look at this, we, we said last week that he makes a distinction, Paul does, between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It comes to you at one time. In fact, the example we gave you last week that many theologians have used throughout the years is this, a bouquet of flowers. And so we had, a, we had real ones last week, and by the end of the day, they were all like dying. You know what I mean? <laughs> the last time I pulled them out in the last service, it was like, hmm, they don't look so hot. So we decided, picture, it looks good every time, okay? And so the bouquet, if I give my wife a bouquet of flowers, I'm not going to pick them out one by one and go, here, babe, here's another one, here's another She's going to be like, give me that. It's supposed to come to me as, a, as one thing. And so you need to look at the fruit of the Spirit as, as like a bouquet. God, when you became a Christian, gave it to you all at once. Unlike the works of the flesh that you produce on your own one by one, you got all of the fruit of the Spirit in you at the moment you became a Christian. It's in you. And by the way, you can't pick and choose from the components of the fruit of the Spirit since they come to you as a singular unit. So you can't say, well, I'm not real big on patience, but I'm very loving. Uh, you can't next week go, I'm going to be a peaceful person, but you know what? Self-control is just not my thing. You can't do that because you got it all. You got peace when you got love and you got self-control when you got patience. You got all of that in you, the fruit of the spirit when you became a Christian. And then the rest of your life, what God does through his spirit is he makes it more evident. He brings it alive and watch this. You can't grow one without growing the other since it is singular as I grow in patience, guess what else I grow in? Love and self-control and peace. All of them grow together. So there's some things to help us understand, hey, what is going on here? So last week we looked at love. And the Greek word for love that Paul specifically used, someone shouted at me if you remember. I heard them all the way from the Robertsdale campus. I can hear them down the road there. Agape. And remember, there's different versions of love. There's like the word eros in the Greek language that means 
romance, it means uh, sensual, it means, it's not that's wicked, it's just not what Paul used. Paul said agape and agape is love that we choose and it's love that we act on. In other words, uh, agape love does not just feel, it does. And remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to model agape love for you. How? The cross. You want to see what agape love looks like? It looks like the cross. Okay? Now, today we're going to come to the second component. We looked at love last week. Today we're going to look at joy. What does it mean to have joy in the biblical sense? And I think today's going to be helpful for us because I want to show you today several things. I want to show you what What does the Bible mean when it talks about joy being a component of the fruit of the Spirit? And I also want to show you the difference between joy and happiness and how we get them confused. So we're going to talk about that today. So first of all, let's get a working theological definition. I'm going to give you a combination of several that I've seen from different theologians. It's not original with me. It's a a piecing together of what I thought would help you. Okay, here we go. Christian joy is an emotion in your human spirit, but it's not produced by your human spirit. It's produced by the Holy Spirit as he leads you. Now here, we need an object for you to have joy. What is the object of Christian joy? It's this. It is the glory of Jesus Christ himself and the experience of his presence in your life. The Holy Spirit draws you into the presence of Jesus and shows you the glory of Jesus and that produces joy in the Christian life. And you're going to find out today, the joy that it produces is different than anything else you can experience as a human being. And it's something God wants for you. By the way, if you're a real Christian, it's something you already possess. You just got to tap it. I've got a really, really dear uh, friend, older friend, whose dad was a turpentine guy back in the day, like back in the early 1900s. And what they would do is they would go around and they would tap these trees for this stuff that was inside of it. It was, it was already in the tree, but all you had to do is figure out how to tap it. Like, can you imagine the first guy that accidentally hit one of those maple trees and all of a sudden like syrup came out? Thank you, Jesus, right? That was a good day. It, it was in there all that time. And someone's like, whoa, that's pretty good. Bring some pancakes, right? Drop the waffle in the toaster. I got what we need. Well, they probably weren't doing that in the early 1800s, but you catch the drift, right? I don't think Lego my ego was ready yet. But they got the syrup because it was in there and it's in you. Too often we don't tap it though, and here's why. We don't tap this thing that God has put inside of us as Christians because we're chasing something else lesser. I'll show you that in just a moment. So, Christian joy is something that the Holy Spirit produces inside of us. And here's something else to to just keep in mind. The Bible requires things of Christians that we cannot produce within our own power and ability. So this is an interesting thing. Jesus, we're about to read, is going to say, I want you to bear a lot of fruit. And then in the next breath, he says, and you can't do it. How about that? Here's something I demand of you. And you can't do it. But I want to help you. It's by design. Because Jesus told his disciples, you cannot do it without me. You got to abide in me to produce the fruit. And you're going to want to produce this fruit. It's game changer. But you can't do it on your own. Listen to what he said here in John 15, 8. Same spot. Remember, this is between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. So he has gotten rid of Judas. Or Judas got rid of himself in a sense. There's 11 disciples left. And Jesus gives them the speech. And he says this, he says, by this, my father is what? Everybody say that word with me. Now hang on to that because that's a bookend for what we're looking at today. So God's glory, 
He said, by this, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There it is. And so prove to be my disciples. That's a big thing. How important is fruit bearing in the life of a Christian? It is the indication that you're actually a Christian. If you never see any fruit on your life that look like what Paul has described for us in the fruit of the Spirit, you never see it, folks, you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you go to church. You can crawl up in an oven, it doesn't make you a biscuit. <laughs> Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. The question is, is the fruit coming out on the limbs of your life? And so Jesus says, proof of discipleship is much fruit. Verse 9, watch. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And there's the word. He never once says, go out and produce fruit. He says, abide in my love. Get close to me. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. In other words, there's another indicator. You will obey him. That's how we show our love for Jesus is obedience because obedience means trust. So if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and abide in his love. Notice Jesus always points out that he's modeling what he's expecting of us. Last week, he says, I want you to love one another. And oh, by the way, I'm about to show you what that looks like. I'm going to wash your feet and I'm going to die for you. That's what it looks like. Okay. Now look at this last piece. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, and here it is, that my joy may be in you. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. The joy of God, the fruit of the Spirit, is placed in you, but it does not stop there. It's in you, but you still got to tap it. Look what he says. And that your joy may be full. In other words, I want my joy in you, and I want you to experience it. I don't want it to just be in you dormant like a seed that's in the dirt that we don't ever see it come out. He says, I want to bring it out of you. I want you to see it. I want it to be so weighty on the lens of your life that the, the things are drooping down with the fruit of joy in your life. Now, I told you to hold on to the bookends. So he starts with the glory of the Father and he ends with our joy. What does that tell you? Watch this. There is no conflict between our greatest joy and God's greatest glory. None. Now, how does that apply to our lives? This is very important. This, this is for every young person in the room and every old person in the room. It's for every one of us. It just looks different at different stages of life. But here we go. There is no conflict between his glory and your joy, your greatest joy, your true joy in Christ. Now, watch. If the world, your flesh, the enemy, Satan... If anything or anyone tries to tell you that you will find joy in anything that does not bring glory to the Father, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a trap. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Everybody goes down that road. It's the road. It's like, come on, everybody. Let's have fun. Woo! They got streamers. It's just a fun, fun, fun path. Everybody's going down that path. And it looks so free. He says, it's a trap. It's a lie. Because the wide road does not glorify the Father. It will kill you. It will destroy you. What looks so wide becomes the most restrictive thing ever right on the other side. It will squeeze you to death. 
He says, but if you'll take the narrow road that few people do, the narrow road that glorifies the Father, you're going to realize that on the other side of that is more life and more joy and more purpose than you could ever imagine. Remember that? There is no conflict between what brings the Father the most glory and what will bring you the most joy. Don't fall for the trap. That trap's been being set since the Garden of Eden. That's what he said. He said, God's holding out on you. God told you not to eat of that tree. He's holding out on you. So they took the wide path and it ended in total destruction. God's ways and his glory and his commands will bring you to your greatest joy. How many of you have walked with God long enough to experience this that we're talking about? Four people. Awesome. I got four people. All right. I'm going to rope the rest of you in before it's over with. God gets glory from our full joy when our full joy is found in him. As Christians, we should have a desire to glorify our Father, to bring him glory. What does that mean? It means to show his value. Don't let it be some mysterious thing. I remember people used to talk about glory in church. In my church growing up, people just liked to shout it at really random times. Glory! What is that? Glory. What is God's glory? It's his weight. It's his value. And watch this. Singing songs is awesome. Doing what we did today is awesome at all of our campuses. But nothing says God is valuable and great and weighty than when I find my greatest joy in him. When I don't chase it everywhere else and I find my deepest, greatest joy in his glory and obeying him and following him, now that says to a world watching, your God must be great for you to find your greatest joy in him. John Piper, great theologian, said it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Okay, so now that we've done all that hard work to kind of wrap our minds around true biblical joy and the joy of the Spirit, what's the difference in joy and happiness? Because I'm going to argue for the next few moments that our pursuit of happiness is actually robbing us, at times, of our joy. Okay? Now let me make clear right out of the, right out of the gate here that happiness is not a bad thing. Happy is okay. I just want to point out that you can produce happy on your own. God's offering you something greater. And I'm not saying happy's bad or wicked or anything like that. Happy's fine, but it's not enough. It's fleeting. You can produce it on your own. You don't need God to help you with it. And, and it's not what you should base your life on. And here's why, because happiness is up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. Let me give you a few things to help you understand the difference. First, happiness is connected to how we feel Joy's connected to who God is, what he's done. I'm going to add one for you if, you'll, if you're writing, taking notes, and what he's promised. So who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised. And since I've seen him do what he does, I know he's going to do what he's promised. I got a future in Christ. All of that is joy. Happiness is connected to how I feel, which is not bad. Listen, if you're a dad, if this is Father's Day weekend, let's talk about parenting. Sometimes my kids make me very happy. Other times, can we just be honest? Oh, I love them, but sometimes, right? We've all been there because we're humans. Hey, marriage, listen, in our culture, our culture is teaching us marketing everything. Chase happiness. 
You should be happy. You should have your own version of truth. This is why marriages are dropping at about a 50% rate and the church is much better at times. Here's why. You've been taught that marriage was supposed to make you happy. And it will sometimes. <laughs> Some days it's, have I told you lately that I love you? And then there's going to be those days where that's not the song you're singing. There's other songs that you sing during those times. Not out loud, just in your mind, right? Because marriage doesn't make you happy all the time. And if you look for an exit sign every time your family or your kids or your wife doesn't make you happy or your spouse doesn't make you happy, if you look for the exit sign, then you're never going to get to the good stuff, which is joy. There's nothing wrong with happy. Listen, we probably all have our idea of what we would call a happy day, a happy day. And I don't know what your day looks like. In my mind, I've got my perfect day. And it starts off with everybody leaving me alone. I'm just being honest with you. I want to get up an hour before everybody else. I got my coffee cup, my little thing I do in the morning. I got my robe. I got my slippers, my L.L. Bean slippers. I've been wearing them so long that they're just falling apart. But they're mine, all right? Little slice of just me, okay? And I walk out into that kitchen. Everybody's quiet, and I want them to stay that way. And on my perfect day, they'd give me about an hour to read a book, read the Bible, have my coffee, just relax. And then they would all come walking out and tell me as soon as they walk out how grateful they are for my fathering. <laughs> then I would make them some pancakes and they would talk about how great they are. Best pancakes they've ever had. And then we would all do something as a family that morning. Maybe go and, and, and take a bike ride or whatever. And everybody's happy and complimenting one another. It would just be that day. And then we'd go to lunch somewhere really cool that I like. And, and then that afternoon, they'd leave me alone again for a little while to have some more me time. That'd be my day. And that's happened like twice in my life. This thing I'm describing to you has happened like twice, all right? How about you? How many of you have your version of a happy day? There's nothing wrong with that. But you can produce that. You can manufacture that. But what I want you to know, what really is awesome is not when everything goes my way and it makes me happy. Let me tell you what will blow your mind. I've seen it over and over again. I've sat with cancer patients that have been told they only have so long to live. But because they're believers in Christ, they're not happy in that moment. Happy's not cancer. Happy's not chemo. But I see the joy of the Lord in them. They're standing in joy and they say, I don't know what's going to happen with all this, but I can't explain it. But I've got this peace and this joy. My friends, that is what God is offering you. Not just a happy day. You can produce a happy day. Go to Disney. Well, Disney might not make you as happy. Oh. We like Universal Studios, that ride called Hagrid's. Anybody ever ridden Hagrid's? It's the uh, Harry Potter thing. That ride makes me happy. I'm going to be honest with you. But that hour and a half I have to stand in that line, there's not enough $22 pineapple drinks that I can buy to keep me happy waiting in that line. Okay. But once I get on the ride for the two minutes that it is, woo, it's so fun. Happy is thin. It's how you feel. God's doing something better. First Thessalonians, Paul's talking to a church that's under persecution. And look what he says to them. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Watch this. You received the word in much affliction. Do you see that? They're persecuted. You, he said, you became Christians and you started getting hammered for it. Watch this. But you had the joy of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Amen. <laughs> I'm giving you my best. We'll stay close to the word. I think that was an ease up on the jokes, Chris. Ease up on the jokes. 
So let me ask you something. When you look at that, that doesn't make sense to be under affliction, but have joy. That's what God wants for you. They're not happy. No one's happy in affliction. You don't have to be. But what you do have as a Christian is joy. When it's tough, joy. When it's hard, joy. When it's confusing, joy. I can stand on that. Here's another thing. Happiness weakens in suffering, but joy intensifies. You ever seen that? I don't know how to explain it. I have an oncologist friend in my small group. We've had this conversation many times because he's the guy that has to walk in sometimes and say, hey, this is going to be rough. Here's what you got. Here's what we got to do. And none of it's really great news. Okay? And he tells me, he says, without them telling me, I almost always can tell who are believers in Christ and who don't have that. He said the reaction is different. And he said both are upset, but it's not a happy thing. Because, hap again, happy is a good cup of coffee, a great cheeseburger, and a ride at a park. Joy's different. And he says, I've done it for years. And I've watched Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian look me in the eye with tears welling up and say, for some reason, I have peace right now. Where does that come from? You tell me where that comes from. Where does it come from? A church called Thessalonica. They are being tortured for their faith. And Paul says, but you guys have joy. We hear about it. We see it. You got joy. Keep shining bright, brothers and sisters. That's better than happy, isn't it, church? That's stronger than happy. That's something we can build the life of our faith on. James 1, 2 through 3 says this. Count it all joy. It doesn't even make sense. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various, of various kinds. And here's why. Because God's using it. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Produces. There it is. This idea of fruit. Bear much fruit. He says, hey, when stuff gets rough, as a Christian, you use a different scoring schedule. Like if you're keeping score, your ledger looks different than anybody else. Because as Christians, when it gets bad, we put that in the win column. Because we see bad stuff like a bag of fertilizer. I grew up on a farm. I know all about fertilizer. I'm talking all natural, baby, organic. Shovel in hand. Put Yeah. Those of you that never grew up on a farm, just look it up later. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Builds character. Okay? I know all about fertilizer. Make stuff grow fast. You know what the fertilizer, this is, this is not going to be your favorite thing you've ever heard me say, I promise you. The greatest fertilizer God uses in the lives of his people to grow your fruit fast, strong, big. Suffering. Suffering. Nothing comes close. And he will allow all of his children to suffer. He'll let you suffer. Don't be surprised. Don't be like, oh, I gave my life to you. And you're letting this happen to me? No, no, no. James says, hey, 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 he's doing something. When it gets rough, he says, put that in the wind column. Because the fruit's on the other side of your trial. He's growing you. He's doing something in you that you can't imagine. He's doing something great in you. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is transcendent. My happiness is absolutely tied to my circumstances. Right? I mean, my happy can go up and down, just ride down the road in the car. With my kids, we, like everybody gets to pick their own song when we're on a trip. So everybody's going through Spotify. I love my daughter. 
but she's going to play some Taylor Swift, <laughs> something like that. And my happy just goes, <laughs> but I got a son who likes George Strait. And when he plays George Strait, suddenly, Amarillo by morning, daddy gets happy. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. Then we go back to some kind of, I don't know, boppy music. It's that, like, we're so emotional. Every little thing. God, hey, it's okay. You're human. God says that. It's not wicked. That's not what to build your life on, though. Build your life on joy in Christ that is transcendent, which means it breaks down. It goes across all the boundaries and all the walls. It means that it's, for the Christian, joy follows us into the diagnosis room, into the tough marriage, into the tough parenting moment, into the confusing times. Folks, we can have joy in all things because of Christ. Because of Christ. And it makes us stand out in this world, which we're supposed to. If we're angry and bitter and mad and fearful like everyone else, if we're terrified of where politics are headed and where this is headed and where the economy, if we're just like everyone else, then folks, we cannot shine the light that we're supposed to shine. We got to be different, look different. This is what God is doing in our lives. Paul found himself in prison. If anyone could have said, hello, I might hear writing half the Bible for you here. You throw me in jail, you know what I mean? It could have been him. And by the way, jail in the Roman Empire wasn't exactly a flat screen, a comfy bed, and three squares a day. It was rough. Here's what he wrote. He said in Philippians, not that I'm speaking of being, and he's going to use specific language, in need. Watch. This is what Christians learn. He says, I've learned in. Everybody circle or underline that word. He doesn't say he's happy with the situation. He'd rather not be in jail, but he's there. So he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Another word for content is joyful. There it is. Verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to bound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, who strengthens me. Now, we've all, look, we've used that verse so many times. How many of you used that verse before? I can do all things. Some of y'all, we use it for all kinds of stuff. I, I use it with my kids with athletics. My son, he and I finished the verse for one another. When he gets out for a baseball game or a basketball, I look at him and say, hey, Coop, I can do all things. He'll look at me. The Christ who gives me strength, Dad. And there's nothing wrong with applying. That's not a misapplication of the verse. It's not. But there is a more specific and what I would call immediate. What was the immediate point of that verse? What Paul tells you. When he says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, he's saying specifically you can learn to stand in joy even when stuff gets bad. There it is. You want to you stand out in a world where everybody's up and down and emotional and chasing happy. That's what our culture chases, happy. We chase it in marriage and family and everything. We just want everything to make us happy. You will stand out like a fruit tree on a barren beach if you learn to live in joy and walk in joy. There's nothing like it. Look what he says. In any and every circumstance. He wasn't happy with prison, but he had joy in it. The joy followed him into the prison, and it'll follow you wherever you go. It is in you. You've got to learn to tap it. You've got to learn to live in that, stand on that. That's what he's saying. 
and like we'll do every single week because everything is about Jesus at Three Circle Church. I want to remind you of that. There's nobody's name on anything around here. It's Three Circle Church to the glory of Jesus. Jesus is our model. I'm just a, I'm just a shopkeeper, man. I'm just an under-shepherd trying to point all of us to the shepherd. And anyone else who stands in this sacred place with the word in his hand on these stages that we have across three circle, all we are is trying to go. So we want to show you each week that Jesus is the one who modeled these components of the fruit of the spirit for us. Jesus did. And he did it with joy as well. Jesus modeled true joy for us. The book of Hebrews is an astounding book. You want to dive into the deep end of the pool and swim? Go read Hebrews. Because it pulls back the curtain for you to see stuff that you just can't see any other way. It tells you some stuff that, that happens. And this one blows my mind. The writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, literally gets into the mind of Christ while he was being crucified. Can you imagine that? Did you know that? Through the inspiration of the Spirit, you get a peek into the heart and mind of the Son of God while he's being crucified. Look what it says. We should look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for what? The joy. For the joy. Not happy. There's nothing happy about a crucifixion. There's nothing happy about hanging naked on a tree in front of everybody. There's nothing happy about dying by suffocation while being tortured. There's nothing happy about that. But it says here, our founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to know what Jesus was doing while he was walking through the darkest thing any human ever has, he was thinking about joy. Joy to be with his father. Joy to bring all of us to himself. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It was joy that he kept his eyes on. And so we should too. We should too. We should keep our eyes on the real joy while we'll experience happiness sometimes, we're people of joy. And here's what I'm going to ask us to do on this Father's Day weekend. Here's how we're going to respond today for every single one of us. You know, King David, King David was a young man of joy. Do you remember the young David? If you look in the Bible, he's like knocking giants down and all that. He's like an MMA fighter and Keith Urban on a guitar. Like he did it all, right? He could write a song, kill a giant, all that. But he, he messed up. You know what messed him up? Watch this. He had been a man of joy in the Lord. And then he had a moment in his life, and a, a period of his life, where he chased happy. He did. He bought into the lie that something else besides the commands of God could bring him joy, and he chased happy, and it brought him down. But he came back, didn't he? He came back. And here's one of the things he prayed. And I'm going to invite us to pray it today. You ready? Here's what he prayed. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Three circle today at all of our campuses. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to pray that prayer. Because if you're a Christian, it's in you. It's time to tap it. It's time to stop chasing happy. It's time to stop 
settling for less than what God has given you. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring you, but I know that you have joy if you're a believer. Would you bow your head with me now and pray your own version of David's prayer? God, restore to me my joy of being a daughter or a son of the king. Restore to me the joy of being forgiven, the joy of being in relationship with the living God. God, would you restore to me a joy that is unshakable? Would you pray that right now? On this Father's Day weekend, would you pray for a restoration of your joy in Jesus right now? Right now, just pray that prayer. Restore to me my joy. Move me from the pursuit of happy to the realization of joy. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, you cannot have this joy without coming to Jesus. And you can know Jesus as your Savior. You can know him. He offers himself to you. The crucified and risen Savior says if you will come to him and make him Lord of your life and ask him to save you, forgive you, and you will repent and turn to him, he'll save you, adopt you into his family. It's the promise, and you can ask him to do that right now. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today and at every campus and online that we would have a restoration of our joy in you. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen.